Matthew 28, <clears throat> from verse 18 to 20, is where we are going to be kind of camping out today. We've been doing um, the Hebrew series, but every once in a while we break that to do some topical sermons entitled Rediscover Church or Rediscovering Church. That's not only because we, we are coming out of a pandemic and we've forgotten a lot about what it means to be church, but also it's good for us to always remind ourselves what is the church? What is membership? What is fellowship? Why do we sing the way we sing? And today specifically, we're going to be talking about the topic of discipling and Matthew 28, 18, 20 is going to be guiding us. I am hugely indebted to this book called Discipling, that's just its name, Discipling by Mark Dever, and I agree with one comment at the back here that says, every follower of Christ needs to read this book. It's the best book I've ever read on discipling by Jani Ortland, and I agree with her. It is an excellent book, so if you have the time and the means, you can feel free to buy a copy um, from our bookstore. When you hear the word discipling, that just means to follow, right? And that phrase of following has become common in our time, hasn't it? I follow you on Twitter. I follow you on Instagram, right? And what that phrase means is just, hey, I, I see your pictures and I like them. They're entertaining. Or I see the content you come up with on Twitter and I, I find that entertaining, which is fine. So if you met someone on the street and they said, hey, I follow you on Twitter, you'd be like, oh, cool, what's your name? Okay, I'll also follow you, right? Right. But imagine if you're walking down the street Someone sees you, they run up to you, they drop to their knees, they grab your legs and say, I follow you on Twitter and on Instagram. I give everything for you. And as they're doing this, you start noticing he's dressed exactly like me. You don't need a PhD in psychology to know that that individual is suffering from a debilitating disorder known as being psycho. And it is only a matter of time before they show up with a knife and like kill you, right? Because instinctively, you know that that kind of following is not meant for you. It's meant for someone else, right? Your following or them following you, it's not supposed to be that. But there is one that we are meant to follow like that. There is a God who said, follow me. Because the end of following him was that we display his character. This is the reason we were actually born. You see, at the heart of Christianity is God saving a people to display his character. Human beings were first created to do exactly that, to display the character of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we were made in the image of God to reflect, to be like a mirror of him, to display his character. But Genesis chapter 3 happened, and we were broken. We lost our ability and even our desire to properly display the character of God, which is why the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They no longer reflect, display his character as they should. Now, the problem with that is it comes with eternal consequence. <laughs> the inability and lack of desire to display the character of God means we are in eternal trouble. God told Adam and Eve, you will surely die. You will be forever, eternally separated from God in hell. And that's a problem. Because these 
image bearers have rebelled against God and are no longer displaying his character. But God sent his son Jesus Christ to perfectly display the glory and image and character of God. That's John 1. The word became flesh and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. That's Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God. He perfectly displayed the character of God, was perfectly righteous. But because the wages of sin is death, he actually took on himself the penalty of all of us who would ever believe in him for breaking his own image, for not displaying perfectly his character. And on the cross, he bore the wrath of God for those rebellious, law-breaking sinners who neither desired nor were able to display his character. Three days later, he rose, and for all who would turn away from their sin and trust in him, they would now be new creations who are able to display the glory of God. He would literally fill them with his spirit so that they were able and willing to display his character and avoid the consequences of not displaying his character, which is hell. That's what it means to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus. It means we, spiritually speaking, drop to his knees, grab his legs and say, I am yours. I've turned away from sin. I've turned away from not displaying your character and I now live for you. I want to look like you, talk like you, live like you, follow you. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, right? Now that we know what a follower of Jesus Christ is, we can have a conversation about what it means to help other people follow Jesus Christ. Now that we know what a disciple of Jesus Christ is, then we can help other people be disciples of Jesus Christ. So Matthew 28, from verse 18 to 20, is our jump-off text. And what I hope you see over our time together is we are trying to answer three main questions. What is a disciple? Where does discipling happen? And how should we disciple? That's really all we are trying to answer. Matthew 28, from verse 18. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, would you speak to me and speak through me to the end that our lives may be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Forbid it, Lord, that anyone except you should get glory at this time. And so now, Lord, what we do not know, would you please teach us through your word? What we do not have, would you please give us through your word? And what we are not, would you please make us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is discipling? Where does discipling happen? And how should we disciple? That's all the mental handles you'll need. Those are the three big ideas we are, we are trying to talk about today. And if you need help, the outline is in your bulletin. What is discipling? Simple definition, discipling is 
helping others follow Jesus. That's all it is. It's helping others follow Jesus. It is intentionally using our influence to help others follow Jesus. You see, you and I all have given influence. God has given you gifts, talents, abilities, enthusiasm, energy, personality, all of those things give you a measure of influence in whatever sphere you're in, whether with your spouse or with your family or with your friends or at your workplace, all those things God has given you means you carry with you, inevitably, all of us carry with us a measure of influence. We all have given influence. The question is, will we have gospel influence? Will we use all the gifts, talents, time, energy, enthusiasm, personality, abilities God has given us and leverage it, use it, use that influence to help others follow Jesus, to do them spiritual good that they may follow Jesus. Uh, to be clear, there's nothing new about this phenomenon of discipling. It's baked into our lives. This is what parents are to do with their children, Deuteronomy 6, to teach the word of God and live around them in the, in the love of God. Teach your children these things that I said before you, whether you sit or you stand or whether you lie down. Jesus Christ, the ultimate disciple and most famous and effective disciple of all, Mark chapter 3 from verse 13 to 14 says this about him. He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. In other words, his word that he was teaching them plus his life is equals to discipling. He taught the word of God, he lived, quite literally, the living word of God, and he was discipling them, helping them follow him. And Paul picks up after that. Paul selects someone to be with him, Acts 16 verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, in other words, to be with him. And later in 2 Timothy 2, 1 to 2, he says, you then, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Do, do, you, do you see how Paul is looking at Timothy but also looking for spiritual grandchildren who will follow Jesus? He says, you then, my child, my disciple, you who's following Jesus, following me as I follow Jesus, then entrust this to faithful men, there's your second generation, there is spiritual grandchildren, who will Teach others also to do the same. They're your spiritual great-grandchildren. He has an eye to discipling in a place where he can't go, that they continue in the land of the living when he goes to heaven. Now, you might be hearing all of this discipling talk, and you're like, you know, that sounds great, but uh, where do I even start with that? Do I just go out to the foyer and grab someone and say, okay, I'm discipling you? Or go to the membership directory point, like, yes, this is now my disciple. Well, in the words of my Jamaican friends, Wolan, hold on. There are some principles that will help us understand how to do this. Remember, discipling is helping other people follow. It's not a trick question. Discipling is helping others follow Jesus, right? And to do that, we have to initiate a relationship in which we teach, correct, model, and love with great humility. It means we initiate the relationship with someone who is teachable. The word disciple literally means a learner or a student. 
By definition, you can only teach someone who is a learner if they want to be taught. The second is we teach. <laughs> the core of discipling, what it means really to disciple at the end of the day is to teach. That's Matthew 28, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. But specifically, teaching the word of God, not just teaching our words. It's Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word about Christ. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that transformation happens through the word of God. We in initiate, we teach, but also we correct. I don't care what kind of te teaching situation you're in, you will need to be corrected, right? As we teach, errors in thinking or believing or in lifestyle show up. And then we are like, okay, that needs adjustment, that needs adjustment. It means we model what it means to follow and trust in Jesus Christ. Notice how in Matthew 28, the goal is obedience. He doesn't just say teach them and move on. He says teaching them to obey or teaching them to observe. The goal of discipling is to see lives transformed or more accurately to use biblic biblical language. The goal of discipling is to see lives conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that involves more than just reading a book or even just reading the Bible. It means you have to see and we have to see this life that is trusting Jesus. And we invite other people to do that. And is that what Jesus said? Not to mention, that's what the apostles did. Look at what Paul did in 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 11. Speaking to Timothy, he says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra with persecutions, which persecutions I endured. In other words, Timothy was right there. <laughs> Paul couldn't hide. When he was at Iconium or Lystra, when he was being beaten, when he was being persecuted and spat on, Timothy was watching this. He got a front row seat to seeing how someone trusts in Christ. Paul couldn't pretend. He was modeling for Timothy what it looks like to follow Christ in every season. And not only do we model this, we have to do it in love. If you think about it, discipling is a form of love. If we love someone, we want to see their highest good. Jesus Christ is the highest good of every human being. So if we love someone, we want them to know Jesus. When someone tells me, hey, this is my friend, but they have no interest in that friend knowing Jesus, I'm not sure I understand what they mean. They've probably misunderstood what it means to be a friend. Because if we are truly friends, we want them to follow the thing that is best for them, which is Jesus Christ. And all of this takes great humility. In the same way we have to humble ourselves to be discipled, we have to humble ourselves to disciple. Christian discipling is not the work of experts or technocrats. It's really just the work of one beggar telling another beggar, there is the bread. That's all it is. So when we put it all together, it turns out discipling is just a bunch of church members who are taking responsibility for the spiritual well-being of each other and helping each other get home safely. That's it. It is friendship in a Christward direction. We were created to be 
disciples. Adam and Eve didn't have a choice between to f- whether to follow God or to be independent. No, their options were you follow God or you follow Satan. So who are we following? Are we following and being discipled by and discipling other people on their way to heaven? You know, I, I have um, three siblings. It's my brother, two sisters, and then myself. And the sister who comes just before me is allergic to fish, which is hilarious because my tribe is a fishing tribe. So when we go to the village, guys are like, I guess you're eating vegetables. My eldest sister um, loves her, loves all of us, but loves, there's that bond between sisters, obviously. So when my sister would eat fish as a kid and really react, I mean, she's throwing up, she's getting bumps. This is before we knew what the real issue was. She saw the effect fish had on my sister, and she was just like, you know what, I'm not going to eat fish. It's fine. She doesn't have an actual allergy to fish, but she just saw the effect fish had on my sister, and she was like, that's it, I'm done. Maybe this whole time that I've been saying the word disciple, follow one another, you're having a huge allergic reaction. You're just like, you know what, I want nothing to do with that. Maybe you've seen such bad examples, maybe even borderline abusive examples of discipling that you're like, I'm better off without it. Now, I can certainly understand that. But I think we need to challenge all our assumptions or beliefs biblically. Maybe you're there thinking, you know what, discipling sounds great, but the person who wants to disciple me, my disciple currently, they are not ideal. Well, hate to break it to you, but uh, neither are you. There are no ideal disciples outside of Jesus Christ. We are not looking for the ideal, we are just looking for the real. We are looking for a real example of someone who trusts Christ in strengths and in weaknesses. Maybe you're thinking, you know what, this whole discipling thing sounds very self-centered. Follow me, follow me, follow me. That just kind of sounds arrogant. Again, I can definitely understand that. But scripture doesn't say that we follow a person. No, scripture says we follow Christ. That the person we are ultimately following is Jesus Christ, even though there are some human examples of following Jesus Christ. Christian discipling does not call us to follow someone in and of themselves. Christian discipling calls us to follow someone only insofar as he or she follows Christ. It does not call us to follow another person's style or their cultural preferences or worldly wisdom or personal habits. Discipling means we model and imitate Christ for one another. And that requires great humility. Not only on the person being discipled, but maybe even more on the person who's doing the discipling. Lest we do what one friend of mine says, we try and conform people into our own image instead of helping them conform to the image of Jesus Christ. We are not trying to make cheap carbon copies of a man, but precious imitators of the Son. You might think this kind of sounds imposing, like I'm imposing my will on this person. Well, Christian discipleship only works if both of us agree to it. There has to be a mutual agreement. A big one might be, you're there thinking, this all sounds good, but I think I'm fine. I'm good. I uh, can understand how some people struggle, but me and Jesus will be fine. Well, sorry. Discipling is for all disciples of Jesus Christ. 
they are all helping other people follow Jesus Christ and they are all being helped by other people to follow Jesus Christ. Because if you're sitting there, if I'm sitting there thinking I'm spiritually neutral, especially unbelievers, that unbelievers are spiritually neutral and they can go toward Christ or away from Christ by their own will, that's not what the Bible says. Spiritual neutrality is a myth. It doesn't exist. Ephesians 2.2 says that outside of Jesus Christ, we all once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There are real forces in the world that are committed to seeing every single person follow Satan and the world and opposing every single effort at helping other people follow Jesus Christ. Right now, all your unbelieving friends are being discipled by Satan. That's what Ephesians 2 means. Our job is to help them follow Jesus and not follow Satan and the world. You might be there thinking, well, I'm a mess. <laughs> I'm a mess, Christian. You don't know how much I struggle. You don't know how I'm just a baby Christian. I've only been saved for like four months. Well, thankfully, Jesus never commands us to teach what we don't know. He just commands us to teach what we do know. And if you know him and are growing in your understanding of his word, you already know a lot that you can share. Remember, someone discipled us, right? And someone discipled them, and someone discipled them all the way back to the apostles. The original eyewitnesses of Jesus spoke the word of God and therefore created ear witnesses who now follow him by faith. And discipling, helping others follow Jesus, is part of our discipleship to Christ. You're probably thinking, what? Discipling, discipleship, what are you talking about? Discipling is helping others follow Jesus. Discipleship, as I am using it, is our personal responsibility to individually follow Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. He called us out of darkness into light, brought us to life and said, now follow me. That's my responsibility, to live for him, to read his word, to hear his voice. But... I also have a responsibility to help others follow him such that my discipling is part of me following Jesus Christ. Now, individual, one-on-one -on -one discipling, what we've been talking about, it is commanded, it is crucial, it is biblical, but it's not the main way the Bible talks about discipling. I'll repeat that. One-on-one -on -one discipling is biblical, there's no way around that. It's commanded and it is crucial. But it's not the main way the Bible talks about discipling. What is discipling? Helping others follow Jesus. Where does discipling happen? In and through the local church. That's the main way the Bible talks about discipling. John 13, 34 to 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You think about that verse. Remember, discipling is helping others follow? Discipling is helping others follow? 
Thank you. Jesus, to what end? To the end or to the goal that they might display the character of God, right? Jesus is saying here, how will people know who are my disciples? When you, plural, love one another. So when a church is loving one another, that's displaying the character of God. So much so that the world sees, oh, those are the disciples of Jesus Christ. When we fulfill all the one another commands of the Bible, as we talked about a few sermons ago, which happen in the church, we display that God is love because we are loving one another. We display that God is holy because we've set ourselves apart from the world. We display that God is one because we act as one, regardless of how different we are. In other words, it takes a whole church to display the character of God. Ephesians 3 verse 10. Scripture says that it is through the church, not just you and your friend, it is through the church, not just me and my small group, but through the church that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God, by a theater of his own choosing, is displaying his wisdom. How? Through the church. He has designed the church to display his gospel and his glory to the visible peoples and the invisible principalities. For the Christian, the church is their discipler. The local church is their discipling group. That's why, by the way, at ECC, we don't have discipleship groups. Ever notice that? Because my discipleship group is called ECC. If you're a member of ECC, your discipleship group is called ECC, <laughs> the whole church. And how exactly does that happen? Glad you asked. Number one, through gathering, right? Discipling is helping others follow Jesus. Well done. Listen if you can hear, listen for whether you can hear that language of encouraging or helping others follow Jesus in Hebrews 10 from verse 24 to 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Did you catch it? When we gather, we spur one another, we encourage one another to follow Jesus. In other words, we disciple one another. When we gather, therefore, this this, what's happening right now, and every Lord's Day, this is the main discipling hour of your life, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Because it is this discipling time when we gather that we are spurring one another on, that we are encouraging one another on to follow Jesus. It is when we gather that the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to show us the Son of God that we may better follow Him to the glory of God. In gathering, our discipleship, following after Jesus, and our discipling, helping others follow Jesus, meet every single Lord's Day. The church is our discipler, not only when we gather, that the church is our discipler because of the Great Commission. The Great Commission was not just given to individual Christians. That's not what's going on there. The Great Commission certainly was given to individual Christians, but fundamentally to the church 
They are the ones who have been authorized by Jesus to make disciples. In Matthew 16, Jesus meets with his disciples and says, who do people say I am? They're like, oh, Elijah, oh, Moses. Who do you say I am? And Peter pipes up and says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my father which is in heaven. And then says to Peter, to you I give the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, Peter, I'm giving you the authority to declare that I, Jesus Christ, am the son of the living God and whoever believes in that will enter the kingdom. That's how you open the kingdom to people. They believe in Jesus. Interestingly, in Matthew 18, that language is not used of Peter. That language is used of the church. When it comes to removing someone out of membership who is engaged in unrepentant sin, Jesus uses the same language. Scripture uses the same exact language. That the church has the keys of the kingdom, and whatever they bind is bound, and whatever they loose is loosed. So the whole church has the authority to bring in disciples or put out disciples. Then in Matthew 28, the exact same language is used. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore you go and make disciples. The Great Commission is given to the church. Another way we know that, how did the apostles respond to the Great Commission? They planted churches. In Acts chapter 2, the church is born. And wherever they went, they started churches. In Paul's missionary journeys in Athens, in Thessalonica, in Berea, what's happening? Is he going from city to city to meet one-on-one -on -one with Christians in coffee shops? No, he is starting or strengthening churches because he knows that church is what will disciple the individual believers in there. And in Matthew 28, it says, the first thing they have to do is baptize believers. And wherever you see baptism, by implication, there will have to be the Lord's Supper. Those are ordinances of the church. Baptism is the formal way disciples are brought in. The church says, this one is a disciple. And in the Lord's Supper, they draw a nice little circle around Christians and say, these ones are the disciples. Do you see? The church is the discipler. The Great Commission was given to the whole church, and the command of the Great Commission is to make disciples. Therefore, the work of discipling is the work of a whole church. This is the main way the Bible talks about making disciples. And because God is so kind, he not only does, makes the whole church disciple us individually, amorphously, he gives the whole church elders to instruct in how to make disciples and to be imitatable so that they make disciples. In Ephesians 4 from verse 11 down to 16, Scripture says, And he gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, listen to the discipling language here, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. The language of moving someone from being a spiritual child to a spiritual adult, from being a spiritual child who's tossed to and fro, to being mature in the faith, that process in one word is called discipling. That's all it is. And God gave elders to instruct the church in how they can move from children to maturity. 
that they may know, understand how to do it. Initially, pastors, elders, those words are interchangeable in the Bible, do that through instructing in the gospel or evangelism. Timothy was told in 2 Timothy 4.5, do the work of an evangelist. Romans 10, faith comes by hearing. Once they have heard, once they're real disciples, then we feed them with the pure milk of God's word. And that food and water of God's word strengthens the whole church to grow into maturity. In other words, it disciples the church. But these elders were not just given to instruct. They were given as living, breathing examples that can be imitated of what it means to follow Jesus and how we can help others do the same. Think about it. Jesus said, Mark 8.34, follow me. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. Hebrews 13.7 says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their faith and imitate their faith. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. You caught it? That he put people to be imitated, not just by their instruction, but by how they live. Why is the church where discipling happens? Because elders are there and they can be imitated. And this is God's design. But it doesn't end with the elders. No, 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 no. It starts with the elders. It ends with the whole body doing the same thing for each other. That's 1 Corinthians 12. That the whole body starts helping one another. That the whole body starts instructing one another with the truth of God. That the whole body starts imitating one another. As older and younger start doing that for one another. It is the whole local church that has God's blessings to make disciples. The local church is the father-designed, Jesus-authorized, spirit-gifted body that is far better at making disciples than just me or you and our one friend. Jesus did not promise that me and my one friend would overcome the gates of hell. He did promise that the church would overcome the gates of hell. So imagine for a minute that your daughter or your son is going to university in some far-off land that's nine hours to get to by flying. What's your prayer for your son or daughter? What are you praying for them? Lord, I, I, I pray that as they go to that city with five million people, they just find one Christian who will teach them, instruct them, model for them, correct them, meet them at least two or three times a week, keep them safe from the devil and from the world. Is that your prayer? No. You're saying, God, I, I pray they find what there? A church. I pray that they are received, loved, cared for, not just by one or two, but by the entire church, right? Now, the same way you'd want your son or daughter to be received there, let's do that here. Whatever in your mind you're thinking of how you'd want them to be received there, that's all we are trying to do here. The way you'd want them to be loved, accepted. Someone says, let's go for lunch. Hi, what's your name? Where do you live? Is there anywhere? All of that, that's all we're doing here. You'd want that a church that gathers, right? So we gather for the main discipling hour of our lives. You'd want that the members of that church take responsibility for your daughter's spiritual growth 
and force her, force, to take responsibility for other people's growth, right? That's all we are doing here. We are saying we will take responsibility for one another's spiritual growth. Look, I love kids. I love your kids. I pray for them when I remember. But I love my kids. I'm responsible for them. In this church, in membership, we are all each other's kids. We take, in one sense, we are all brothers and sisters. We take responsibility for our siblings' spiritual growth. That means it should be normal at ECC to just read the Bible. To say, hey, I'm meeting with Daniel to go read the Bible. I know that sounds strange to the world, but it should be normal here. It means at ECC, it should be normal to say, hey, we are going to read this Christian book um, over the next couple of months. I'm, I'm meeting with so-and-so to read that book. And to that end, there is two free copies of one-on-one -on -one Bible reading at the bookstore for the first two members of this church who will go to the bookstore, say who they're reading that book with over the summer, they will get a free copy of one-to-one -one Bible reading. Ah, now I have your attention. <laughs> yep. It should be normal to do that. It should be normal for us to just hang out because the church is not just the spiritual center of our lives, but the social center of our lives. It enables me to be close enough to others so that they can model for me and I can model for them. Close enough to others so that they tell me, hey, Christian, I don't know if that's a wise idea. Close enough for me to tell them, oh, yeah, actually, I think you're right. Close enough for me to say, praise God, you've just taught me something to do. It should be normal for us to pray for one another, to just pick up the membership directory and say, okay, today's the 30th, I'll pray through page 30. Do you know anyone there? Nope, but I'll pray for them anyway because they're members of our church. It should be normal for us to choose to love and inconvenience ourselves. Let's make it normal to shamelessly copy our elders. Shamelessly. You see how the elders kind of hang around after the service? Yeah, let's just shamelessly copy them. See how the elders, or hear how the elders pray? Let's shamelessly copy them. Even the actual words, I guarantee you they won't mind. See how the elders warn us not to make decisions that would put our souls in danger. Not to date a non-Christian and be unequally yoked to them, not to follow the wrong kind of preachers on the internet, not to make an idol of our work, not to let any coarse joking or corrupt talk leave out. You see how they want us to do that? Let's shamelessly copy them and do the same for one another. Let's follow. They are the ones God gave us to do that. Now, listen, I know many of us follow many people on the internet. I have the deepest respect for most of those people. I have the deepest respect for John MacArthur. But John MacArthur is not my pastor. Elias is. I have the deepest respect for John Piper. John Piper is not the person that was given to me to follow example of. Oscar Ramirez is. I have the deepest respect for Alistair Begg and R.C. Sproul and a lot of other great people I could say. They are not my pastors. Ben Zamora is. They are close enough to me to show me what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I'm like, oh, so that's how you deal with kids when they're dancing all over your last nerve. Copy-paste. A flat screen pastor can't do that, much as we respect them. What is discipling? Helping others follow? Jesus. Where does discipling happen? In and through the local church. And how should we disciple? Well, we start at home and we take it from there. We start with our natural family, Deuteronomy 6, Psalm 78, 
Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, disciple our children, especially us dads. The discipling of our children is not going to happen through Ben and Yolet in the children's ministry. They can help, but it's not going to happen through them. It's going to happen through us. We evangelize and disciple our own children. We evangelize and disciple our non-Christian friends, right? Discipling of necessity starts with evangelism. We help other people follow Jesus by telling them about Jesus. Otherwise, we'll be wasting our time trying to make goats act like sheep. It's not going to happen. Trying to make dead people dance. No, we tell them about Jesus, they come to life, and they follow him. Okay, so what happens if they actually get saved? Do we rush to, okay, let's meet once a week for coffee? Well, no. The first thing we do with a spiritual baby is place them in a spiritual family. The same way natural babies need natural families. Same way in my country, and I'm sure in many of your countries, they don't let single people adopt babies, not because single people are evil, but because they understand a baby is raised by an entire family, the same is true spiritually. We take these babies and put them into spiritual families. So that what can happen? So that they have these dad-like figures who copy, who they can copy and grow into maturity with, but also so that they have a whole bunch of moms and dads around them, a whole bunch of siblings around them, older and younger. Think about Titus 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, and then it says older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Do you see? That the older men can disciple the younger men, that the older women can disciple the younger women, and all of that is happening because someone just got a new family. And it's not just older to younger, to be clear. The Bible also says, do not let anyone despise you for your youth, but set an example for the believers in life, in faith, in love, in purity, and in speech. In other words, the young people are good for us who are older because they help us grow in our humility. They help us keep learning. They help us keep being disciples. So, young people in the room, I dare you, okay? And I'm, I'm defining young here a bit loosely. If you're 40 years old and under, um, <laughs> look for the gray-haired, white-haired, bald-headed people in the room. And I dare you, go to them in the foyer and ask them, hey, is it okay if you and I meet once a month to read through the Bible? What's the worst they can say? No. And if they tell you no, just say okay and quietly pray for them that the Lord may help them repent and move on to the next old guy. <laughs> just do it. We consider not just the, the age of someone, but we also consider their gender. Men with men, women with women. We consider people who are different from us when we are thinking of who to disciple. Few things display the power of the gospel as potently as the unity it creates among people who are divided by the categories of this world. Ephesians 2 says, For through him we both, in other words, Jews and Gentiles, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. 
ECC, the gospel is so beautifully displayed. When you pick someone from, who is from a different country than you, different background than you, different styles than you, but regardless of all of these natural, worldly differences, you have deep unity in the faith and you can disciple one another. And guys, praise God here at ECC, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars flying to the Philippines to disciple a Filipino. Just step to your left. They'll be there. Not to spend thousands of dollars going to America or Canada or India or Kenya or South Africa. I guarantee you in front of you or behind you or beside you, one of those guys is there. Just disciple them. <laughs> but that also means the responsibility on us is much heavier because we have no excuse. We consider if the person we are choosing to disciple is teachable rather than waste our time like the evil and foolish son of Proverbs who can't be taught. We invest in people who want to be taught. We consider if those people are going to be faithful. Second Timothy, my child entrusts to other people who will also teach others. We want to disciple people who will do the same for other people so that when we are dead, we've left behind little time bombs of grace that will go off all over the world. We want to consider people or consider discipling people who are close to us, who are actually physically there, whose schedules we can work with or work around. 99% of choosing how to disciple someone is just wisdom. That's all it is. It means we have clear aims for our discipling relationship, right? One way of thinking about it is the life, truth, life principle. That as you and I live the life of Jesus Christ, it will inevitably attract other people to say, hey, could you show me how to do that? When they come, we draw them to the truth. We show them Christ through his word. We teach and model what it means to live like Jesus Christ. And then their own lives, as they get transformed, will attract others to them, not us anymore. You see? And that will create this beautiful culture where all of us are discipling one another. Now, granted, that takes a lot of humility. That takes me and you not only modeling our success and triumphs, but especially modeling how we still trust Christ despite our weaknesses and enduring in our failings as he conforms us. A couple of weeks ago, I had met with um, a younger member of the church, and we had met, we had a good time, we talked about some stuff, we had meaningful spiritual conversation, and then uh, we went to the car, I was going to give him a ride home, and as I was reversing, my mind was all over the map, as I was reversing, I had, I had hit someone. Not a human being, another car. Now, at that moment, I forgot there was someone else in the car. Right? And the real me just showed up. Right? Now, thankfully, this is one of those times where I'm not embarrassed about what I did. But even if I was embarrassed about what I did, it would have still been a wonderful lesson to the person with me. This is how a Christian repents. They would have learned more from that than from me acting a certain way. One of the greatest ways to make disciples is through hospitality. Guys, hospitality is actually a command. Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hebrews 13, 2, do not neglect to show hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Sometimes you might hear this discipling language and think, oh no, that's only for extroverts. Actually, it's only for Christians. 
right? And I found out in my limited experience, introverts actually make very good hosts. Extroverts like big parties that are being hosted by someone else. <laughs> we welcome one another into our homes with our hearts and with our lives. But the other aspect of hospitality means you look for the stranger. Who is it who you've never seen before? Who you look through the membership directory and you're like, mm, I've not seen this guy. We look out for that person and say, hey, what are you doing after church? Want to come for lunch with us? We're going to so-and-so's house. Want to come? Just tell them that you're going to their house before you actually go to their house. What is discipling? It's helping others follow Jesus. Where does that discipling happen? In and through the local church. How does it happen? Through much wisdom with much love, much humility, and much vulnerability. Yes, discipling will cost you your time. Yes, discipling will cost you time in studying, studying the word, in studying books. Yes, discipling requires a lot of prayer because the changes I'm hoping to see in your life and that you're hoping to see in my life, God has to work those changes. I can't. Discipling requires love for me to initiate and stick with that relationship. Yes, it will cost me a lot, but it is eternally worth it to stand before the throne of God and see someone else who we discipled hearing from their king, well done, my good and faithful servant. And maybe you're here and you're wondering, okay, practically what, what do I do? Here it is as we close. Here's what I want you to do. Number one, think about someone you want to disciple. I mean like right now. Just take 10 seconds. Think about someone you want to see better follow Jesus. Okay, now, before the sun goes down today, pray for that person. And then, if they're in the room right now, before you leave this building, approach that person. Tell them, hey, my name is so-and-so, if you don't know them. If you do know them, hey, I actually did think about you, literally. I was wondering, would you want to meet once a month to read the Bible? Lastly, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. And this discipling stuff sounds good, but you don't know how to get there. In our text in Matthew, it's very interesting. The chapter starts out by calling these 12 Jesus' disciples. The angel speaking of him says, he's not here, he's risen. Come see the place where he lay. Therefore, rather than, go and tell his disciples that he's risen. Then the next verse says, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and they ran and told his disciples that he's risen. Then when Jesus shows up in verse 10 of 28, he says, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Jesus commissions his brothers to make disciples. Friend, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you today have the opportunity to call the omnipotent God your brother. If you recognize that you're a sinner, if you recognize you do deserve hell, if you turn away from your sin and trust in him, spiritually he grabs you, brings you home, calls you his brother. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. 
Grant, Almighty God, that you would get many brothers today. And grant that for your brothers, you'd give us the courage and the conviction to help others follow Jesus. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.